0: Don't panic, Keith, it's online, great. Thanks, Lisa, for leading us this evening uh, and our time together so far. Uh, Folks, can I give you a welcome, uh, as Lisa has said already, if you're visiting with us, a special welcome. Hopefully on your way in, you're able to pick up a copy of the summer update. Uh, That is all information relevant uh, for the month of August. So take a, a look at that and see what's happening over the next month. Welcome back. School holidays have ended and we're back in our uh, summer evening services and we're back in Romans. Uh, It's hard to believe it took me a little while this week to get back into the thinking of Romans. We started Romans last September and this is now the penultimate moment. Uh, Next week we'll see us finish our studies uh, in this book. So come along to that uh, as we finish off uh, our time together in this study. But as we come, let's take a moment and let's pray to ask for God's help as we come to approach this passage. Father God, we gathered this evening again thanking you for the time that we've been able to spend with family, with friends, enjoying your creation and enjoying times of Sabbath rest over the Sunday evenings in July. Father, now that we're back, Help us as we pick up where we left off in thinking about what you have to teach us through the book of Romans. Help us as we learn more about how you used your apostle to reach the world and challenge us in how we are to respond to what we learn and what we hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a few moments to remind you where we've got up to in Romans. We started, as with every book, in the first chapter. And the first 11 chapters are basically Paul setting out his theology. What he believes. He's put it very clear to this church in Rome. This very much Gentile, converted Gentile church in Rome, although it did have some Jewish believers in it. And it was about debating. Paul was using his letter to put forward his opinion, put forward what he believed, put forward uh, his argument. And then he would think of what the counter-argument would be, and then he would address that. And so, as we looked through the book, we came to this notion of how Paul was writing it. He would put forward what he believed. He would guess what the argument would be from those around him. He would tackle that and move on to the next thing. So it's a very organic book in that it grows in Paul's thinking. Then we got into chapter 12, and that was a moment for us where we enjoyed getting out of the heavy theology. And into chapter 12, and we're looking at how it's put in practice. And that's what chapters 12 to 16 are about, the practical outworking of the theology of what Paul believes about the Christian faith and the Christian life. In the chapters that we looked at, Paul covered these things. He covers our call to be living sacrifices right at the start of chapter 12, to offer ourselves in the service for God in whatever way we can, to offer everything of ourselves, not just the little bits that we like and forgetting about the little bits that we don't like, but how we are to become living sacrifices in living out this faith that we are called to. He then deals with our treatment of one another as the body of Christ halfway through chapter 12 when the New International Version gives us the topic of love and Paul starts off in verse 9, love must be sincere. But in this passage he's telling us how we are to respond to each other, how we are to grow as a Christian community, how we are to be with one another. He then moves on in chapter 13 to tell us about how we are to submit to the authorities around us how we are to interact with our rulers and the authorities of the civil society in which we live, how we are to be in the world but not of the world. And then he returns, this time a little bit deeper thinking uh, towards the end of Romans 13, about how we are to again love one another. Uh, He offers advice on how to share the gospel message that it must be done in love, that to go into the world, to be Christ in the world, to share the gospel that he believes so dearly. And then about caring for each other, chapters 14 and the first half of chapter 15. How to love one another in this journey of faith. How to care for one another. How to be there for one another. How we're not to ridicule one another by judging each other on our amount of faith. So this is where we've got up to. And we now enter the closing section of Romans, his epilogue, as it were, to finish off everything. And before we go into it, we must take a moment to remind ourselves where we started. I don't know if you can remember back to that evening in September. And Christoph took us through the first chapter. And he came to verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. And I know for me, he opened up again for me something that I had learned richly in my first year at university. But he opened it up again to my thinking and to my mind, and Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, where Paul starts, he affirms in his conclusions. We need to grasp that this is what Paul is all about. It's been a few weeks since we've looked at this, but we need to remind ourselves again that this is his mission statement, this is his objective. He is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And everything that Paul has done, as we read it in Acts and as he accounts it in the letters that he writes to the various churches, he reminds us and we can see it again and again that this is what he bases his life on, sharing the gospel to those around him because he believes it is the power of God to bring people to salvation, salvation for everyone who believes. So let's think about Paul for a moment. Paul is a pioneer missionary. He's the first church planter. Whenever we think of pioneers, we probably think of what happened in America, where the Christians came over or went over from Europe, and they started trekking through this new land. And they cut a path everywhere they went. They went through dense forests, They tracked along wide and vast plains, not knowing where they would go, not knowing where they would end up, not knowing what they would face along the way. They would settle for a season. They would plant, not knowing if the the earth would be good enough to grow crops. But still they went, because they they believed the message they had was one that would change lives. And so these pioneer missionaries went into America following the rest of trade and things that had gone before them and things that would come after them. But they went. They faced danger of all kinds. They were pioneers for this kind of work, this kind of life, and they trusted God each step of the way. And so Paul is a pioneer of the gospel in places that had never heard it. And you can read through the whole of Acts and discover the places that he went to, those who partnered with him, where he established churches and how those churches grew. Some of them living as they should and others a little bit more difficult. But his message was always clear. He never compromised on what his message was. His message was to tell the news, the good news of Jesus to both Jew and Gentile. One of the last, uh, if not the last, sermon that I prepared and preached on Romans was Romans chapter 11. Where we looked at all Israel will be saved. And we thought of it in terms of uh, a play. Act 1. The children of Israel. God's chosen people are on the stage. And the rights of salvation is theirs as we know it in the Old Testament. Act 2. The Gentiles come onto the stage and now they have access to this salvation message. Act 3. It is the true Israel. Jew and Gentile alike in Christ being the true Israel as God intended. And this is who Paul goes to tell the gospel to. Yes, to the Gentiles, but working his way until that day when the true Israel will come to be. So that's Paul. Let's pick up our passage this evening. Romans 15, starting at verse 14. It's on page 1141, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles. So the first thing that Paul does, he affirms the believers in Rome. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another here's a a church that's coming of age they have followed the apostles teaching others have encouraged them as they've gone on their way, we have to remember the Roman Empire was all about the movement of people so not only did the pagan Romans move around on trade and everything else but the Jews also moved around And so those early Jews and indeed Gentiles who were converted uh, at the start of the birth of the church have travelled. They've gone wherever their business has taken them. They've taken trade, they've taken their lifestyle with them and they've gone to the imperial city, the place where everything happened. It was very true, all roads led to Rome and they followed them. And so they took with them the teachings of the apostles To this church in Rome to encourage them and to cause them to grow. And so Paul recognizes that they are complete in knowledge. And not just that, but they are competent to teach one another. Here's a church coming of age, and Paul affirms them in this. He recognizes how far they have come. Remember, they were a church under great persecution in the imperial city. There were those who had deserted and, and had come back again to form this church that Paul is now writing to. And this church was both indigenous believers and those who traveled to Rome as people from throughout the rest of the empire making up this congregation. And he moves on to say, I have written in verse 15, I have written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again Because of the grace God gave me. Paul acknowledges that sometimes he's had to be the harsh teacher. He's written with boldness. He's had to say some things that they may not have liked. But he's done it because that's what he's called to do. He wants this church to grow. He wants this church to be faithful. And so what he has done is he doesn't hold back but with boldness he tells them what is right and he tells them what is wrong because he does want them to be complete. He wants them to be complete in every spiritual way, but he wants them to be ready. He wants them to be ready to be disciples living in Rome. It's a city of about a million people with probably only the estimate around 9,000, 10,000 Christians. There's a lot of work to be done There's a lot of persecution and Paul wants them ready. So with boldness, he dares to tell them how to live as his people, as Christ's people in the imperial city. And he goes on in verse 16 to say that he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit recognized himself as an apostle. But to put it in terms that would be understood certainly by Jewish and indeed to a certain extent pagan believers, he sees it as a priestly duty. In every religion, be it the Jewish religion or the pagan beliefs, the priest had one job. And that was to bring the people closer and into a closer relationship with their deity. So for the, the priest and the Jewish Scenario, temple services, sacrifices. It was the priest's duty to conduct these so that the Jewish congregation would be brought into that closer relationship with God. In the pagan world, the priests of each of the gods and goddesses had the same responsibility in whatever way it took to bring their worshippers into a closer relationship with their deity. And Paul is saying that this was his job. But he was the true priest. The one with true priestly duties to lead people to Christ. And he recognizes that it was focused on the Gentiles. Those who were once excluded from the benefits of salvation unless they became a Jew. Paul says it was my special mission. I went to be a priest to bring Gentiles into this relationship with Jesus Christ so that they could be his disciples also. Verse 17 moves on, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. And here we have a key issue for Paul. He recognizes that he will not boast in his ministry, but he will boast in the ministry given to him, the ministry that involves Jesus Christ and the work that Christ has done in the lives of, that have been touched through the ministry of Paul. Paul doesn't want any of the glory. He doesn't want any of the praise. But he recognizes and he affirms to the Roman church and he gives the example that he will glory in Christ Jesus. He'll not glory in whoever he has led to Christ or whatever churches he has planted. But his glory will be in Christ Jesus. And in Christ alone. We've said that Paul's ministry has always been a pioneer ministry. And he says that. In verse 18 he goes on and says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So he recognised that God has worked in him. And that work in him, that moment on the road to Damascus where he is converted, he recognised that that is a testimony. A testimony that he can share with people. A testimony to prove the living God and that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. Paul moves on and he says at the end of verse 18, So from Jerusalem all the way around to, um, Lisa and I had a way of how we pronounce this, and uh, as with everyone, you stand up here in front of people, it escapes you completely. Um, Illyricum, Illyricum. Yeah, well, it's there in front of you. However you want to read it, go right ahead. But going around this way, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Whenever we read Acts, We see what Paul has endured. But throughout everything, he still holds fast to the thing that is most precious to him that he tells us in Romans 1 I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And he says in verse 20, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul's a realist. He recognizes that as other people in the church have come to know the ways of Christ, as they they have effectively interpreted the scriptures of the Old Testament and the letters and different things that were sent by the apostles and disciples, he recognizes that there are others as well. Paul's desire is to go and pioneer the work. He doesn't want to go and build on someone else's foundation. Too many have done that to him. He doesn't want to do to others what others have done to him. 1 Corinthians tells us this in the issues within the the church in Corinth. Paul wants to be the pioneer, not for his own glory, but so that he doesn't frustrate or hinder the work of others. So he's a realist and recognises that God has used others to do the work of building these churches. And he moves on in 21 to say, Rather as it is written, Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Here, Paul is quoting Isaiah 52 and verse 15. This is one of the passages in Isaiah that we call the suffering servant passages. passages. These different passages throughout Isaiah point us to the Messiah, the one who will suffer for the sake of many. And here, Paul is saying, Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. The wider reading of this passage is that the servant, the suffering servant, will not suffer in vain. Even though it will seem that way, he will not suffer in vain because people will come and will know and will understand the gospel. So Paul is holding fast to this truth that is promised in Isaiah The promise that no matter what we do, no matter what work or efforts we have, there will still be those who will not hear. But God promises that they will see and they will hear because God will make it happen. God will work his ways. And to finish off this little section that's marked in our passages for us, Paul finishes it by saying, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. It's most likely that he hasn't gone because he's heard of the work of others. He's been encouraged by what others have been doing for the sake of Christ. So he didn't want to inadvertently frustrate or damage that work. He recognized it as being all one work for the name of Christ and for the sake of Christ. And so he says, I let it be. I let it be. But he still desires to be with this church in Rome. Because as we read on into the next little section that has been marked here for us in the Bibles in front of you, we look at the first two verses of this and then draw a line and think about what it teaches us. Verse 24 is the first indication that Paul wants to visit Spain. Nowhere else in the letters, or in the writings or readings of Paul, do we ever hear that he wants to go to Spain? Remember, he is a pioneer missionary. He has done all that he can in Asia Minor, and so he wants to move on to new church planting areas. Most likely, Paul is writing this on his third missionary journey. He's probably in Corinth, and he will go back to Jerusalem before making his way to Rome and then on to Spain. Spain was the end of the known world. For Paul, the map of the Roman Empire went as far west as Spain, much like whenever Patrick came to Ireland, he believed it was the most northwesterly point in all the world. So Paul was truly taking the full gospel to all the world, or this was his desire. And on his way, he wants to stop off in Rome he says but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions he's done all he can he's handed the work over to reliable people and since I've been longing for many years to see you I plan to do so when I go to Spain I hope to visit you while and notice this he says passing through and to have you assist me on my journey thereafter or thereafter I've enjoyed your company for a while Rome was this city of a million people, we said. There would have been plenty of work for Paul to do. But Paul recognized the work that the church was already doing. He didn't want to be the expert, the troubleshooter, being dropped in, doing the work that there could well have been done in Rome, and then moving on again. He says passing through because he wants to encourage the church in Rome. He wants to say to this church, you're doing a job let me encourage you in that job, and then I'll get out of your hair and let you get at it. Paul sees the grander scheme of things. Rome has believers. Let them gossip the gospel. And he would move on to, to Spain, to the unknown places of the world, to the places that had never heard the gospel message. It seems from this passage that it has always been his dream. To go to the end of the world. So in these first few verses. What can we learn? Verses 14 through to 24. What we have is a picture from Paul. It's a picture where Paul shows us. What his desire is for his work. And for his ministry. He has been encouraged by the church in Rome. He has accounted to them what he has done and why he has done it. And he tells them that this is just a mere stepping stone of what the world can look like. So Paul has a dream. It's a dream that the whole world will hear the gospel. And he firmly believes that this dream has been given to him by God. There's one problem as we read this. And that is we have no account of Paul ever making it to Spain. Paul had his dreams. But we believe those dreams were not fulfilled. Paul, as we know, after he got back to Jerusalem... A lot of things happened to him and he eventually ended up in Rome but of course it was under house arrest as he awaited to see what the authorities would do with him. But what mattered in all of this even though he didn't get to Spain what matters is the dream. His conviction. His desire to tell the world the gospel. We've done a lot of thinking And a lot of talking in recent months about taking the gospel into the community around us. How committed are we really to doing it? I ask myself that question as one year after moving into this community, I know three names of people on my streets and no more. So I challenge myself about how sincere am I in telling people around me the most powerful and wonderful message I believe there is. My challenge is why am I not telling them? Paul set out a stall. He made it very clear how precious the gospel was to him. He went through shipwreck. He went through beatings, stonings, trials, and imprisonment so that he could tell the gospel, still having the dream that he would tell more people. Folks, in the light of this, in the the light of our study of being a gospel-centered church, for those who went to our Faith Academy course on um, evangelism and looking through Out of the Salt Shaker, that book by Becky Manley Pippert, Are we any further in telling the gospel to those around us as we endeavor to do personal evangelism? Paul had the vision. Do we have the vision? You see, Paul recognized that Rome was a stepping stone. But it actually turned out in the sight of God that Rome was the place where Paul had to be. If Paul hadn't have wanted to stop off in Rome, we may not have had the letter that we have in front of us. Because the purpose of this letter, as we learn towards the end, is to encourage the church as Paul would come and follow up. He had the dream to go to Spain and why not en route stop off in Rome? You see, the fulfillment of the dream wasn't the end for what God wanted. God had other plans but yet allowed Paul to have the dream so that Paul would keep going in his ferventness for the gospel. Tom Wright says we should never underestimate what God will do through things which we see as small steps to a larger end. We don't know what steps God has for us as we desire to share the gospel message with those around us. We can dream the biggest dreams that we can ever imagine. But in God's sight, it may be the stepping stones that are far more important than the overall dream. As we were thinking this morning, we are to let God be who he is in every aspect of our lives. To trust in him, to commit to him, and to allow him to lead us however far he will take us. He took Paul as far as Rome. Untold blessings happened because of that, because of a shipwreck, because of his testimony before the Roman authorities, and because of his witness to the guards who kept him under house arrest and his encouragement to the church in Rome. So that's our first lesson from this passage. Let's move on and we'll pick up again in verse 25. And here we have Paul saying that he's going to Jerusalem and while he's there, he's actually going to help those in Jerusalem. So he says, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. Paul is dedicated to church. He's dedicated to helping the church grow. Now, take out of your mind denominations because no such thing existed. But what he desires is to help the church. Yes, he's a pioneering missionary, but he also has a heart and a vision and a big view of the church. So he's going back to be of service to the saints in Jerusalem. So this is a trek from Corinth He'd have to go across the sea again, land in Judea, and head across to Jerusalem to be with fellowship with the believers there. And he goes because of this in verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So not only is he going to go with gospel proclamation and encouragement, but he's also going to bring practical support for the poor now there's many questions as to why they're poor in Jerusalem and notice it is for the saints there a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem why are they poor because surely 20 years earlier this was the church that held everything in common this was the church who sold land and put their money into a big pot and they all survived off that Some people believe that it wasn't the greatest economic decision made by the church. We have it in scripture that it happened and it is a good principle. But this is perhaps why they're now poor. Many things happened in those 20 years. Great persecution. There was a shortage of food. Different things happened historically that make us recognize that things weren't going well for this early church. So Paul is going back to help them. But it's ironic that he's going back with gifts from a Gentile church. These two churches are in northern Greece. And they have given money to help the poor. The mainly Jewish Christian poor in Jerusalem. And Paul says in verse 27 that this church in, or these churches in northern Greece were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them. And this is why he says so. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Paul is trying to bring this Jewish believer and Gentile believer divide. He wants to get rid of it. He says the Gentiles are blessed because of what God has promised in salvation history. That is salvation for the Jews as we know it in the Old Testament. This has been opened up to them as a great blessing, something of salvation for these Gentile believers, so it is only right and fair that they share their material blessings as well. But Paul is getting at something bigger. Paul is looking at one church, one body of Christ. Not church designated by, well, are you a Gentile church or are you a Jewish church? He wants to get rid of that thinking and he wants to promote one body, one faith, one church. And he believes that by the time he gets to Rome, he will have known the blessing of seeing this act. He believes that it will do the Jerusalem church good to receive this money, and he will see the blessing of it and be able to tell the Roman church. But we know what happens. Things don't work out the way Paul intended. Because whenever we look at, this section of church history in acts chapter 18 through to 28 we see riots in ephesus we see hearings uh, beatings trials two years imprisonment a complex sea journey back to palestine he was shipwrecked on back to rome things didn't go the way paul wanted them to go it didn't happen the way he thought it would Of course, Paul knew nothing of these events, but he had the wisdom to do what every believer should have the wisdom to do, and that is ask for prayer. He initially asks for prayer. As we read on, I urge you in verse 30, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. And in verse 31, he says, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. And that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. Paul sees two battles. One with the unbelieving Jews. Those who used to be his cohorts. How do they see him? Well, they see him as a blasphemer. A traitor. As someone who led Jews away from the true faith. Someone who destroyed the grip of the law of Moses. On their lives. So he risks his life by going back to Jerusalem. Because of what the Jews will do to him. But then he also prays and asks for prayer. That he will be able to be a blessing. To the Jewish or the the saints in Jerusalem. That what he does may be acceptable to these saints. And why is that? Well, Paul's carrying money. We would think they would openly accept money. But... Because the Jewish church is still so torn between the ways of Judaism and struggling with how that works out in Christianity, money coming from a Gentile church may be tainted. It may be sinful money. So therefore, he fears that they will not accept it. And that the blessing that he hopes for will not happen. The unity that he hopes for will not happen. And everything that Paul aspires for big church will not happen. But Paul is still full of faith and hope because he says in verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. Paul hopes that even though he will face this difficulty with their prayers and their support in this way, he will be able to know the blessing of the church in Jerusalem. Paul wants this so dearly. He wants this so much that he asks for prayer, specific prayer for it. And then Paul finishes with a small benediction in verse 33. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is a benediction of peace. Peace or shalom is a central Jewish theme. But Paul seems to suggest more. He says, be with you all. So this piece is just wider than Jewish shalom. This piece is about Jewish and Gentile unity in the church. He recognizes the difficulties. He recognizes the struggles. And he prays that this church will be united by the peace of God that the peace of God would be with you all. John Stott records this as Paul the Jew, who is also apostle to the Gentiles, says the Jewish benediction over his Gentile readers. This is Paul doing what he does best, presenting the full gospel to everyone who will receive it. So a moment ago we recognized or need to be intentional about our evangelism and how we share faith with others. We recognize that it is God who has the plan. He will give us the dream, but if it doesn't come true, it is still within his plan. So what can we learn from this second little passage in this chapter? Well, Paul basically tells us that prayer is an important part of our Christian lives. In verses 25 to 29, Paul shares his intentions, and from verse 30, he urges for prayer. As some of you will know, I was at camp over the 12th week down in Castle well in Castle. We had a great week with 63 kids and 16 of a team. We had the castle to ourselves, and we really did have an amazing week, not just with fun and everything that happens at camp, but spiritually as well. And it was actually a bit of a shock for me. Because in our evening sessions we were looking at a week in the life of Jesus. Basically from the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the resurrection. And I thought the kids would grasp this. But actually what the kids grasped were what we did in the morning meetings. Which was spiritual disciplines. Each day we took an aspect of what as Christians we are to do. And the one that they responded to most was prayer. And it has been exciting to receive emails and letters from both campers and parents alike to say that their children or that these campers themselves are engaging in prayer. They're setting aside 15 minutes each day, 11 to 16-year-olds, to be fervent in prayer, to get into this habit, a good habit, of praying each day for the needs of the world, for the needs that they have themselves and taking time to recognize God and giving him the glory and prayer that he deserves. I have been blown away by the response to this, and I have been challenged in my own life about my prayer life. This passage urges us to join in gratitude to God for all that Paul accomplished but it also challenges us to be an urgent prayer for those who preach the gospel in our own day, especially where it crosses important cultural boundaries. We have children praying who are seeing things happen because of their prayers. Can we be the same as we pray for gospel proclamation that is happening today in East Belfast, in this city of Belfast in this island of Ireland and can we pray for those especially who are going cross-culturally to do it who face persecution who face risking their lives for the sake of the gospel who so ever carefully try to preach and teach the scriptures in a culturally relevant way where nothing is misunderstood or misinterpreted I ask you as I ask myself, what are our prayer lives like? We've thought about wanting to do evangelism and our sincerity in that, well, part of the workings of that will be our prayer lives. What are they like? Can we spare at least 15 minutes a day to remember the gospel ministries that we are aware of within this congregation, within the community around us and around this world? Can we remember those who preach the gospel informally in day-to-day conversations by those we know in workplaces and by those who do it, excuse the language, but professionally, either in pulpits or in mission situations? Can we be praying for them as Paul has guided us to pray, as he has given us the example by asking for this prayer The great Apostle Paul asks for prayer. How much more do our ministers and missionaries, our evangelists, and indeed ourselves need this prayer as we go into this world to proclaim Christ and his gospel? Let me finish with a quote again from Tom Wright. He says, especially in relation to this passage, not only money but power and the deepest human—sorry, the deepest sense of human identity—are challenged by the message which declares that there is one God, and that the crucified and risen Jesus is His Son, the world's true Lord. That's the gospel going out. It changes lives, just as Paul believed it would do. How engaged are we in it, both? practically in doing evangelism and gospel work. And how sincere are we in praying for those around us in the very pews this evening who will go into their families and their workplaces to share the gospel, and those in our pulpits and those around the world who proclaim Christ as Lord, the risen Lord, and the Savior of the world. May he give us the grace to understand these things and to put them into practice Let's pray. Father, as we've looked at this passage this evening, we see two things coming out. The need that there is to share the gospel so that others will be ushered into the kingdom where there will be that party in heaven over one who will come to you. Help us as we figure out what that looks like for us. May we never hide away from it May we never negate our responsibility of sharing the most precious message in our lives. And Father, may we never give up on prayer. We thank you that Paul sets down the benchmark for us that we are to follow. That he asked for prayer in these difficult situations of church and evangelism. So help us to pray for ourselves, for each other. And for those around this world whom we know who are desiring to share your gospel message in the most difficult of situations, help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to care and to love one another so much that we will support each other as your family as we go about our daily lives living as your disciples, taking every opportunity to proclaim the message of Christ. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.